0: Good morning and welcome. As you've surmised by now, my name is Craig Thompson, and I am the pastor here, senior pastor, one of the pastors, and it is our privilege to have you with us. Apparently, it's kind of a big day, so we're excited about that. A few announcements. We're going to be in the book of Acts in just a moment. A few announcements before we get started. Adam, I wasn't actually paying attention to what you said earlier, so if he said this, y'all will forgive me for repeating it um, and forgive me for just not listening to Adam. Um, we have VBS meeting this afternoon. As soon as you finish eating lunch, all right. So we want you to stay and eat lunch. It's going to be good. I don't even know what it is, but I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. I know what my wife brought, so I know that's good. Um, so stay and eat. And then there's a Vacation Bible School meeting. So please plan. It won't be forever, I promise. But we do need you for that. And then this afternoon at four o'clock, we have a Next Steps uh, meeting. So uh, if you are a visitor with us, if you have visited with us once or 30 times and you think, hey, might be interested to know what it would look like to uh, be a part of Malvern Hill, please come and, uh, and see us, see me this afternoon. I'll meet you right here in the sanctuary room right behind that door where we will gather together. Do me this one favor, though. If you're one of those folks that say, I'd love to come, but I'm going to need some child care. I'm going to need you to find me or one of the other pastors and tell them so that I can try and get that lined up for you this afternoon because I haven't had anybody reserve that for this afternoon, okay? All right, Um, so I did all the things. VBS, next steps, and lunch. So again, stay and eat lunch. All right, hopefully by now you've made it to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to tell you God's providence is so awesome. I believe that God works in a variety of ways. Sometimes He works outside of the expected ways, but a lot of times God just works with normal planning of events. And it's uh, in God's providence that I planned to be preaching from this passage of Scripture about six months ago before I had any idea what we were going to be doing on this Sunday as far as reflecting upon and remembering 15 years from me here. So stand with me in honor of God's Word and let's marvel at His grace towards us. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord God, help us to reflect upon your goodness, but Lord God, may we also be eager to serve you in the future. Move among us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Fifteen years ago, I walked into a church that, believe it or not, faced the threat of division. Maybe not division in like a big sort of way, but just a place that wasn't super healthy. Um, and what have I done? What have I done since I've been here? Nothing spectacular. That's the truth of the matter. What have we done together? Nothing spectacular, but it is miraculous. Miraculous. And that's the thing I want to keep in mind. Sometimes the the, the, the normal everyday aspects of life can still be miraculous because God works often in the mundane everyday aspects of our life. God works in the planning of sermons months out in advance and God works in the proclamation of His Word and the normal ministry of life. See, this is a spectacular occurrence and experience because It's somewhat the basic, boring, day-to-day ministry of word and deed that has allowed us as a church to go from a place that was relatively unhealthy to a place that is really exciting and a great place to be. Fifteen years ago when I came, my pastor that I left, I don't know if I've ever told you all this, he he shipped me off with concern. Craig, I don't want you to go to a place where they're going to eat you alive. I said, I'm sure it won't be that bad. He was like, nobody's stayed there for more than three years, Craig. I'm a little concerned. I said, well, my wife is pregnant. Uh, we're going to have a baby. I need to earn a full-time income, and they're willing to allow me to come and preach there. It was supposed to be kind of funny. If y'all would laugh, I'd appreciate it. What I didn't know is that God had been working behind the scenes to prepare Malvern Hill to deal with... Uh, uh, a young 26-year-old pastor and God been working behind the scenes to prepare my heart to deal with uh, a, a, an 80-year-old church. And in the course of all those things, God worked it out to allow us, I believe, to do something pretty incredible. The ministry of God's Word here has brought new life out of what could have been ashes. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, that, that that's, that's something that maybe in the middle of it, we didn't all rea- realize. See, see the reality about churches that die is they die kind of slowly and then all of a sudden. Does that make sense? It's, it's like a business. you ever seen a business that's sort of boom, 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 everything's okay, and then all of a sudden there's this colossal collapse, everything seems to fall in. The reality is that where, where we were, where, where y'all were before we got here, but where the church was was sort of this, this just sort of stagnant, everything kind of staying along, and, 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 and had nothing changed, maybe the church would have stayed there for another 20 years. Maybe there would have been some colossal uh, catastrophe that would have caused uh, incredible division within the church body. But God was at work. I get, I get to stand up here and y'all get to say, hey, great job for 15 years. But the reality is God was at work long before Craig Thompson ever arrived. You know, and that's what we've got to keep in mind, that as we celebrate a 15-year anniversary for somebody, we've got to make sure that we point our, our eyes and our attention to the God who works behind all the somebodies to bring these things about. Because ultimately, without the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit, a church is just a building gathered with people, but with God's Holy Spirit, boy, something crazy can happen. This morning... Rather than stand up here and tell you a long story about what all that God's done, we're going to preach God's Word. I'm going to interweave in this a little bit of testimony about what God's done over the last 15 years. But the reality of the matter is, y'all didn't show up here to hear some sappy story from some guy standing in front of you. I did wear a suit today, though, just so I could be cool. Fif- oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Fifteen years ago, I wore suits every Sunday. And then, I don't know, about ten years ago, Angela looked at me. She said, why are you wearing a suit? I said, because that's what I preach in. It's my preaching uniform. She said, nobody else is. And I looked around, and she was right. Literally, nobody else. See, y'all rubbed off on me. This morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want to wrestle with this question. Now, I want you to know that until we get to the end, the question is not going to seem to fit the sermon, but I'm going to need you to trust with me, trust me and work with me this morning, okay? This morning, I want to ask this question, or, what, where are you serving? Where are you serving? i wrestle with that question. I started to say with, are you serving? Or So maybe just an imperative, you should be, or maybe just say, what in the world are you doing? But this morning, just where are you serving? How are you serving? You serving here in the book of Acts, chapter six, we see a church that was on the brink of absolute destruction. Now, at a a cursory reading of this passage, you might not appreciate that because, as I've talked to you before, we tend to read the Bible in a G-rated, like old-school Disney cartoonish version. We tend to read it in two dimensions, and we often don't grasp all of the things that are happening in this passage of Scripture. But when we find ourselves in Acts chapter 6, when we try to immerse ourselves in this place, I want you to know the first thing that jumps out is there is a threat to the church. There is a colossal threat to the work of the church right here. And the reason there's a colossal threat is because what might not have jumped off the page at you is that we have an ethnic Battle shaping up within the church. Something that would be pretty close to a racial strife within our own body. The Bible says in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The widows were being neglected. Now watch. The disciples were tasked with preaching the word. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But the threat in this particular situation didn't have anything to do with the proclamation of the word. There's nothing in here that says they weren't preaching well. But the Bible said that there was a complaint that arose between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Who are the Hebrews? Let's begin there. The Hebrews are Jesus' people. Okay, These are the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jewish people. These are the leaders of the church. Jesus spoke Aramaic. Jesus' disciples probably all spoke Aramaic. And the complaint comes from the Hellenists. Who were the Hellenists? Folks, they were the traitors. At least in the minds of the most committed Jewish or Hebrew Jewish people. The Hellenists were Jewish people with a Greek background, a Greek heritage, and they spoke the Greek language. Many of the Hebrews would have been identified with the Pharisees' party, for instance. And even if they weren't Pharisees, they still agree with much of what the Pharisees stood for. They were advocating for there to be a a, a revival of the Jewish state and of the Jewish people. And they were clinging to their heritage, their language. These other Jews, these Hellenistic Jews, they were still worshiping the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but they were doing so in the language of Caesar. Now we have two groups that are existent within the early church right now. We don't yet have Gentiles. So listen, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. That's all of you unless there's some of you that have a Jewish background. Okay. Guess what? You're not a part of the church yet. In Acts chapter 6, you're still on the outside looking in. So we have two groups of people in the church right now. You've got the Hebrews and you've got the Hellenists. Don't let the two H's confuse you. If that messes you up, just think about You've got like the, the conservatives, you ready, and the moderates. That's just what these are. And the Hellenists go to the leadership and they say, Hey, our people, our widows are not getting fed in the daily distribution of food. Let me bring that into language that might be more comfortable for us. Our people are being discriminated against, and your people are being fed. Do you see what a great schism was developing right here? Do you see how dangerous this situation is? We've created an us versus them mentality within the fledgling church. Do you know that there's nothing in this passage of Scripture, there's nowhere here where Luke, the author, suggests that the Hellenists were wrong. This isn't like they just got their feelings hurt. What's happened is reality. This isn't a misunderstanding. This isn't a miscommunication. No. Some people are getting fed. Others are being neglected. There is a threat Within this church, this early fledgling church, there was a threat to division. There was an in-group and an out-group, and folks, the out-group was being pushed out. Listen to me. Division in a church is always the work of Satan. Division within a church is always the work of Satan. There was the threat for division, for disunity, and discord. But when it comes to division within the church, we've got to be willing to identify the divider. When I bring folks into my office or wherever I might meet them for marriage counseling, usually my office because it's neutral territory, uh, we come into my office and the thing that I want them to understand pretty quickly is the threat the enemy To their marriage is not sitting beside them on the couch or across the room from them. The enemy of their marriage is Satan. He is the one who would desire to see them separated. The enemy in the church is Satan who has planted these seeds. Now, in this particular situation, there's a threat. Now, what happens when we feel threatened? How do we normally respond What's our gut reaction, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Don't know what they tell me? Okay. Some of y'all are sitting there going, there's a fourth one. I don't care. Fight, flight, or flee. I can't even say it. <laughs> but we do. We get afraid. I mean, we're well, there are people in this office that occasionally like to scare me. They like to jump out behind corners. I don't like it. Okay. They do it. They hide. They hear me coming, they hide, and they jump out. One of these days, I'm going to punch one of them. (laughs) See, I'm afraid because there are ladies who do it too, and I'm afraid I'm going to punch somebody It's going to be bad. You know what I mean? (laughs) When when we're threatened, have you ever noticed when somebody threatens you? Somebody scares you, all right? You want to punch them, just like me. After you've gotten over that initial fear response... You either fought right then, right? You, you froze. This is actually why a lot of people die in plane crashes sometimes. They land the plane. you got like 90 seconds to get off before the thing erupts into flames, but too many people freeze and don't go anywhere. If you're on a plane it gets into emergency landing, you got to get off, okay? Just take that for what you will. Uh, so fight, flight, or freeze. So you either run away, you fight, or you just jump. Ah! But when it's over with you, have you ever been just terrified? And when it's over, like two minutes later, ten minutes later, just so fighting mad you can't even see straight. You ever been there? Some of y'all are like, no, y'all are better people than me, okay? I get mad, like really mad. There's a threat within the church, a threat to division. And in this threat... There are accusations even against leadership. The apostles. These are Jesus' hand-picked leaders in the church. Do you know how easy it would have been for them to have given in to their flesh and the temptation of Satan and say, why don't y'all shut your mouths and leave us alone? We're going to run this show. Why can't y'all Why can't y'all focus on the things that matter? It's the preaching of the word. Just get over it. If they're not getting fed, then you feed them something. That's not at all what happened right here because the apostles resisted what must have been a temptation for them. Y'all read about Peter, right? Cutting people's ears off and stuff. Imagine these Hellenists, like, Mr. Peter, listen, we don't want you to attack us or scream at us or run us through with your sword. You're packing. We understand. We need you to be patient and kind. But see, our great aunt over here is not getting any food. And your great aunt got a double portion yesterday. Folks, in the midst of this threat to unity, threat to the work of the church, rather, in in this place, here's what the disciples did. They acknowledged that there was a need, and then they appointed somebody to tend to the need. We're going to see in just a minute that they prioritized the preaching of the Word but they do not neglect the reality of the ministry that needed to take place. Folks, we can be so tempted when somebody speaks against where we think things should go to just lash out or just to ignore, but the apostles didn't. They said there was real ministry that was being neglected and needed to be tended to, and they needed to deal with it. Now, let me not get too far ahead of myself, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, the seven men that they appointed all have Hellenistic names. What does that mean? We've got affirmative action happening right here in the church. Right? Maybe not exactly, but there was intentionality in the people that they chose. They looked for representative leadership within the church body. Now, these were men who were qualified to serve, but when they saw that there was a particular group being neglected, and when they recognized that, hey, we look like something and they look like something, we need to make sure there's no longer an us and a them, but there's a there's a we. We're going to bring everybody together. And we need them to know that we heard them, and we need to know that we value them, and we need to watch, not just give lip service to it. Y'all ever been in a situation where somebody just gave you lip service? They were like active listening to you. I hear you, and I understand, and I care. And you're like, I hear you, and I understand, and I want to throw you out a window. You been there? Again, I'm sorry for the violence. I'll try to do better. But here's what they did, I hear you, I understand, and here are seven people they are going to make sure that you don't get neglected. There was a threat to the ministry, a threat to the work, there was a threat to, the, to division within the church. And what the apostles did, they didn't dig their heels in and go, y'all listen to us and we're going to show you what to do. No, 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 they said, you know what, this is a real issue, so let's find a way to resolve the issue. But that brings us to our second point. Uh, There was a threat to the Word, to the ministry of the Word specifically. This may come as a surprise to you. But the discipline of being in God's Word regularly and preaching it faithfully is one of the greatest challenges for me as a pastor. The discipline of being in the Word of God regularly and preaching it faithfully is one of my greatest challenges as a pastor. Some of that probably is just because I'm ADHD, right? It's all over the place. My brain just goes pew. But you know what the other part of it is? I'm a human being and my flesh desires so many things other than God's Word. I desire busyness and and distraction. But nothing matters more than the preaching of God's Word. During the Protestant Reformation, the pulpits of the churches were moved. No longer did we focus on the altar, which was the case in the Catholic Church. The pulpits were moved to the center. And they were often raised. Why were they elevated? So there would be a a picture in that of of the importance of God's Word, that God's Word, not the pastor, but God's Word literally stood over the people in the front of the people. That was the purpose of it. This is the centrality of the Word of God. I don't... I just ran completely out of the camera screen. I'm supposed to keep, pay attention to that. Let me come back over here. Um, I don't preach way over there. Can y'all keep up? That's good. I don't preach all the way over here. And it's not just for like aesthetic purposes. It's because we want to c- regularly communicate that the Word of God is central, centerpiece in our worship. That's why it has to take place right here. Now... Here in the early church, as I mentioned, there was a threat to unity within the body. There was real ministry that was not being tended to. I already told you, nobody said, oh, Hellenists, you don't have a complaint. No, they said it's true, but then watch what the disciples do. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Here we see that there was a real ministry need... But there was also an emphasis on the fact that the Word of God cannot and must not be neglected for the purpose of accomplishing a different ministry. We can't allow ministries within the church to compete for attention and for the Word of God and the ministry of God's Word to sort of get pushed to the side while all the other things take place. The church must place a high-value On the preaching of God's Word. The church must place a high value on the preaching of God's Word. A couple things. When we redesigned my study a while back, I decided and got support from others in our church that one of the most important aspects of that study would be for it to communicate the importance of the, the study of God's Word. That's the reason you walk into my office right now and there's just bookshelves everywhere. Part of the reason is not just so that I can find my books. It's so that it communicates clearly when anybody walks into that place that the primary purpose of that room is to make preparation for the proclamation of the Word of God. Because the Word of God matters more. It matters the most. Now, of course, this isn't just a Craig Thompson thing. In my 15 years, I've been able to do many things, but nothing's mattered more than the preaching of God's Word. But watch. It's not just about me. The church has prioritized. You all have prioritized the preaching of the Word of God. What I mean by that is that there's an expectation for God's Word to be rightly divided and to be preached regularly. You give ample time to the study of the Word. You support my efforts and the efforts of our staff to grow in our understanding of the Word, to dig in and to to, to know it. Right? There, there's not some expectation that 30 of my 40 hour work week or whatever be spent cleaning carpets and painting walls. That there's got to be time spent labored over, sweated in the study and the understanding and the preparation of these messages so that I can stand before you and deliver this word. Do you understand that today it's, oh, look at Craig, but y'all, without a church that's one to come alongside and support these things, there's no opportunity for a pastor to have the time that's necessary to rightly divide the word of God. See, the apostles understood that their <coughs> excuse me, that their primary responsibility was to preach the word, but they also understood that the only way that that could happen is if they delegated responsibilities for other ministry to other people. They understood the only way that that could happen is that there were others who were willing to step up and to take on some responsibilities within the church. There are no small jobs within the church. And and preaching the Word is the most important aspect of the church, okay? So if preaching the Word is the most important aspect of the church, you ready for this? Anything that you do to advance the preaching of the Word of God is supremely important. If the proclamation of the Word of God is the most important thing that happens within the church, then whatever you do to increase or to enable the proclamations, that means if you're proclaiming it yourself, it's incredibly important, right? If, if, if you're taking responsibilities off of a pastor's plate so that more things can be done, it's incredibly important. If you're giving your ties to the church to make sure that all the needs are met so that attention can be paid to the proclamation of the word, then it's incredibly important. If you're teaching in life groups, it's incredibly important. You understand all of the things that take place. You say, Well, I didn't do anything last week but sweep a floor. Holy cow. Do you understand that if the floors don't get swept, people often can't come in and hear the Word of God? They can't focus on it because they get wrapped up and think about something else. I'm griping about how dirty that was, and I'm too frustrated to listen to the preaching. Or, you know, they're calling. Believe it or not, this, uh, y'all, this happens in some places, okay? So I don't think I've ever gotten this call, for the record. You know, but the call, it's like the paint's chipped in the hallway outside. Pastor, what are you going to do about it? Uh, I don't know. Didn't realize I was supposed to do that. Well, do you understand that there are no small jobs in the church? A pastor only gets to stay 15 years somewhere if there's a whole lot of other people that are willing to come alongside and make it an enjoyable place to be. You know, I get to take a lot of credit for a lot of things. We're going to vacation Bible school in just a few weeks. I hope that you'll all come and suffer, I mean, serve with us. I, do you know that my my VBS priorities are to show up at this meeting in just a little while, and I've, I've got some responsibilities in this meeting. Um, I get to present the gospel to our kids on Wednesday night. I plunge toilets. okay? Unless there's a couple of y'all that will race me to them because y'all love me enough not to make me do it. David Hance, I appreciate you, brother. Right, And then I just am like the principal at Vacation Bible School. If a kid has to come to me during VBS, it's not usually a good thing. right? It's because we've exhausted every other option. Do you know I get all the credit? People come to me. A lady, Me and Angela at the grocery store yesterday, a lady said, Hey, Pastor, I turned around and I said, Hello? She said, I sure do appreciate you. I said, Oh, I have no idea. I hope she's not watching this today. I have no idea who that lady was. I don't have any clue. She said, my children are already registered for Vacation Bible School. I said, oh, great. I'm so glad. She said, thank you so much. We love it. I get all the praise. I don't do anything. I don't cook. Man, those kitchen folks are working their fingers to the bone to make sure we eat well. I don't do that. I don't prepare to teach a class. I certainly don't uh, don't lead up here during the week. I've got a job to do, but my job is so far down the ladder of importance compared to what so many other people do, and yet I get all the the praise for it, like I accomplished something. I want you to understand that one of the great privileges of being in a place for 15 years is everybody says, hey, great job, Craig, let me pat you on the back. But y'all, do you understand? If y'all couldn't be the kind of people that I want to pastor, I wouldn't have been here this long. If y'all weren't willing to come alongside and we couldn't work together, a person couldn't couldn't do it this long. That's what the apostles understood. They said the preaching matters. And somebody goes, look at the sermons they preach. And they're going, hey, we're not going to neglect the preaching if y'all will take care of everything else. Because there are no small jobs within the church. There was a threat to the proclamation of the word. What was the threat? The threat was that the disciples would need to spend half of their time feeding at these tables instead of spending time behind sacred desks studying God's Word and praying for God's people. Rather than sacrificing what Jesus had told them to do, they found others who were called and gifted in different kinds of ministry and they set them free. Y'all go do it. And then they did what the... Listen, you know what my staff loves about me most in the last few years? I've gotten better at it. I'm not great at it. Here's what they love. They love when I say, I'm going to get out of the way and let y'all handle it. Some of y'all are laughing because y'all are waiting for me to do that for you. I understand. I'm getting better. It's hard. I like to grab it and run with it, you know? I like it. But I, but I say, hey, thank you for taking that ministry responsibility. Craig, what would you like? And I say, I don't care. I, I, I trust you. Y'all know how hard that is for me? Not to trust y'all, but just not to stick my finger in the middle of it. See, I I get paid to be here. I I should be doing some of these things, but I'm getting a little bit better and saying there's a whole lot of y'all and I can't do it all. You know what's happening? Our ministries are so much healthier because I stay out of the way. Scott Taylor loves to look at me and say, I'll take care of the electricity if you'll just preach. He won't even let me change a thermostat in this place. (laughs) There was a threat to the proclamation of the word. The disciples saw it. But folks, the best thing they could do to make sure that the word continued to be preached is they could find others to fill in the gaps of ministry and then they could get out of their way and they could continue to dig in where they are. Right? The third thing we saw this morning is that there was a threat to the witness of the church in the community. Verse 7 is basically, and let me just say, y'all, If you're listening to this sermon and going, Craig, you've you've missed like 47 things in this. We could preach, I think we could probably preach two months of sermons on this passage of Scripture. There's so much in here. But verse 7 is basically a summation of the early church. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. But watch. And the word of God continued to increase. When you do your job, the gospel advances. That's why I want to know what job you're doing. Because when you do your job, the gospel advances. So here's the ugly part. Are you doing anything? There's probably some of you in here that aren't doing your job. And as a result, the gospel's not advancing in your little corner of the world. There are people that God's called you to reach. You need to be doing your job so that they can be reached. There may be jobs within this church body that God's called you to take up. And some things are not being accomplished yet because you've not taken up that responsibility. There are no small jobs within the church. There are no small jobs. The apostles needed to continue to preach the word, but widows also needed to be cared for. Do you realize that? Both of these things needed to take place. I want you to remember something Jesus said and we said this over and over recently the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another your love for one another watch the world won't necessarily know that we are his disciples by my preaching the world won't necessarily know that because why? The world's often uninterested in this proclamation. Or they simply aren't present to hear it. But when they see you putting God's word into action by loving others exceptionally, exquisitely, they begin to notice there's something different right there when they see the way we love, when they experience they love that love, when you do your job, the gospel advances. You're not the pastor. That doesn't make you somehow less important in God's kingdom. We all have a part to play. Every single one of us. So what do we do now? See, I, I can stand before you and reflect on 15 years of ministry. 15 years of baptisms and burials. 15 years of welcoming babies into the world. Here I am at 15 years and I'm, I'm welcoming the babies into the world of people that I baptize. Now that makes me feel a little old. Okay? Okay. <laughs> And we, y'all, it's pretty exciting. Some of y'all don't know because I get the calls before y'all do. We got so many babies fixing to be born. It's so exciting. You know what's great? COVID, COVID lockdowns are over. I get to go back to the hospital now and see these babies when they get born and take pictures. Just me and the baby. It's the best thing ever. Mamas are happy for me to come in and hold their babies and pray with them. And I take selfies and I send them to Angela. And I say, look what I'm doing today. Enjoy your job. It's great. I pray over these babies. And I pray that God would save them. And I pray for mamas and daddies that they would be dedicated to bringing these children up. We have those opportunities. I can talk to you about the babies that I've held. I can talk to you about the shoulders that I've cried upon and they've cried upon me. We can talk about this sanctuary that we were able to build together. We can talk about the like 14 ninth graders that are in this place right now. 14 or 18. I don't know. There's so many freshmen here that we can't keep up. We have more ninth graders than we should have teenagers. They're everywhere. I could reflect upon my opportunity to have a wife that has supported me here for 15 years, the way that God's blessed us with four children. I could tell you all about how honestly I've actually pastored this church for 14 years and 6 months. And for 6 months this church pastored us when we we went through our adoption process. It was so hard and you guys just walked that journey with us. We can talk about the hard things that we've all endured together. Tragedies that have just shaken us. Some of y'all can't speak of 15 years here. Y'all can't even speak of 15 months here because God just brought you here. And it seems like just 15 minutes worth of experience that you've had. I could talk about all that God's taught me and all that we've been able to do. But folks, we can't spend too much time in reflection because there's too much work to be done. See, I I hope that we have another 15 years to plan for. There are people to reach. There's a gospel to proclaim. The same God deserves praise, glory, and honor in the future who has received it in the past. And so in conclusion this morning, folks, we can't sit on our accomplishments for too long. It's okay for us to take a day and to eat a meal and to reflect on what God's done. But we've got to wake up tomorrow and put our work clothes back on and get busy because there's a job that needs to be done we have a vision to cast and to realize there's a community to reach and a world to evangelize we've got buildings to build and debts to pay folks do you know do you know that there is actually the possibility that our debt could be paid off by the end of this year it's going to take some sacrificial giving on the part of some folks But there is the possibility that the debt for this building could get paid off before the end of this year. You know what else is going to happen? At some point in the very near future, you guys are going to get some plans for what we're going to do next. And we're going to have to spend some money because why? Why are we going to spend money? Because Craig likes to spend money? No. Because we're out of space for everybody. Did I tell you there's 14 ninth graders? There's like 47 fourth graders who are going to be in our student ministry in another year and a half. We don't have anywhere to put them. We're launching a, an adult life group in, in July, and when we launch that life group, every single educational space on our campus will be filled up with people doing life groups on Sunday mornings. See, it's not just about our teenagers and our children. We got to take care of them, but y'all, we ain't got room for y'all either. You're old, we don't have room for you. You're young, we're running out of space. We've got work to do. I don't know if it's going to take us another 15 or another 35, but we've got work to do. We can sit around and celebrate all that God's done. And for goodness sakes, we need to give Him glory for all the great things that He's done. But folks, what can you do? What is your job? See, mine is to preach and to lead. This is probably one of the things that God's really changed in my life. One one, one of the things that that I've worked diligently to avoid for all of my ministry is the spotlight. I I don't ever want this to be Craig Thompson's church. Okay? Um, You know, we, we would never, ever have a billboard with me waving at people saying, Come to Malvern Hill. Creepy. He'd probably go the other way. (laughs) I guess when you think about it, it it's a terrible advertising campaign. But one of the things that, that God has taught me is to be comfortable with what he's called me to do, right? He's called me to lead and to teach and to preach. That's not something to be ashamed of or to run away from. That's what he's called and gifted me to do. What's he called you to do? It's okay if he didn't call you to that thing. What has he called you to do? Yours may be to teach, to serve, to build, to finance, to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some of you that he may actually be calling to leave from here and to go out somewhere else and to carry the good news of the gospel in other places. We may have teenagers that he's calling right now to the foreign mission field or that he's calling to be pastors What's he calling you to do? We all have different jobs to do. What is yours? Listen, in the early church, there was a threat to the work of the church that was happening. There was a threat to the proclamation of the word. And there was a threat to the witness. But where do they end? In verse 7, and the word continued to increase. And the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I'm so grateful for you all to take your time and your efforts to honor and appreciate me. But folks, the greatest appreciation is going to come in the next week, month, year, we appreciate all that God's doing when we go out we proclaim the good news we work to see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus prayed we're spending tons of time today celebrating me but it's not and never will be the Craig Thompson show the ministry of Malvern Hill needs us all. And the needs of this community needs us all. So this morning, I'm going to actually give two separate invitations. The first thing that I want to say is to those of you who are members of Malvern Hill. We need you. I really appreciate you guys honoring me but we need you what are you doing what are you doing what is your job there are no small jobs there are just jobs ministries opportunities how are you serving again what's god called you to do maybe you've heard about these building projects and he's he's called you to help fund and finance those Maybe you hear about missions, opportunities, and you say, I believe that God's calling me to leave and go somewhere else. Maybe you've had an opportunity to come and listen, folks, this is a healthy church. It's exciting. Maybe you've been able to experience a healthy church for the first time in your life, and you say, Craig, I don't know how, but I would love to take what's happening here to another church and see them experience the same things. Maybe you want to serve in our children's ministry. There are millions of those kids over there. It's scary. We need you. <laughs> well, folks, you need to do something. We need you to do something. Maybe there are widows that are not being cared for, and you recognize them. And let's get you plugged in. So, that's the first thing. What are you doing? The second thing this morning, though, 15 years of ministry, nothing matters more than the proclamation of the word of God. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I would be remiss if as we celebrate 15 years of ministry, I don't take just a moment to let you all know that God loves you. God has a plan for your life. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us. If you came here today not expecting to hear an anniversary sermon from a pastor, but you came here today looking for hope and healing, I want you to know that it can be found in the arms of Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and it seems like the whole world's just falling apart on you, I want you to know that we had a group of apostles who felt like their church was fixing to fall all apart. There was great division. But it didn't have to fall apart. There was, there was a way out. Folks, if it seems like your world might be just caving in on you today. I understand that the sermon you heard might not have been the one you were anticipating. But this may be the message you need to hear. God sees you right where you are. He loves you right where you are. But watch. He doesn't want to leave you there. book of Isaiah says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. What does that mean? God knows just how selfish and crazy and... And sometimes stupid we are. How sinful we are. But he sees us in our sin and he extends salvation to us anyway. If you came here today looking for hope, I don't want you to leave without finding it. So this morning when we stand and sing in just a minute, if you need hope today, could I point you to that hope? If you need prayer today, could I pray with you today? And then some of you here today, members of Malvern Hill, some of you today need to decide that today is the day that you get off the sidelines and you get in the game. There's ministries being neglected. There's an opportunity for you to step up and step out, make a difference in God's kingdom. Stand with us as I pray. Father God, I pray that you'd move among us, work within us, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to prioritize the proclamation of the word and unity in the spirit of Jesus. Forgive us for our sin. Make us more like you in Christ's name. Amen.